Hey, what's up, Mike? How you doing today? Hey, Rob. How are you, man? Pretty good, man. So we got a. Um, this, this is the, the breakfast first, show. The breakfast show. This is a, this is like back in the days of international. Yeah, last year when we were doing shows at ten in the morning. You know what's funny? We could we could pretty much go back to doing ten in the morning like this now that we have the capacity. Yeah. You know, well, that? I mean, you're you're you know you're starting later and ending later, so maybe we got to do that. Yeah, so so this is um the rock show episode eighty nine. We're almost reaching ninety with the next episode. Oh yeah. And um today we're doing a very special band. Uh we're talking about on Generation X. Yeah, uh Generation X is one of my favorite of the UK punk bands. Uh they were kind of different than the other bands. We'll talk about that. They were and, very different. Yeah, and uh of course the lead singer Billy Idol went on to international stardom in the 80s. But after he left, the band still continued, right? They got a well, no, no, it was it was done after he left. It they was had done, some, yeah. they, they had got, some lineup changes, but they, they were never they, good. Well, they, they had lineup changes between the second and third album, and then uh, they actually broke up in between. I'll get into all that, but then Idol went off on his own, and that was it. He never yeah. came back. Because I remember seeing them in a bunch of things. Um, all right, so what you got for me today? All right, well, you know, uh, to understand Generation X, you know, you got to talk about Billy Idol, obviously. So yeah. he, was, he was born William Michael Albert Broad on November 30th, 1955 in Stanmore, Middlesex, England. Uh, his mother was Irish and his father was British. And they were kind of like a religious family. Uh, he used to go to church as a kid. But in uh, 1958, he moved with his parents out to Patchogue, Long Island, from England. Okay, so he actually spent some time here in New York as a kid. He also lived in Rockville Center in Nassau County for a while wow. as a kid. Uh, at that point, his little sister Jane was born. She was actually born here in America. Uh, but in 62, I believe uh, his father's work took him back to England. And they moved to the Dorking, Surrey area. Now, he went to school there as a kid. But in 1971, they relocated to Bromley in the southeast section of London. Uh, that's where Billy went to the Ravensbourne School for Boys. And later, he would attend Worthing High School for Boys in West Sussex. He was kind of like a, you know, average middle class kid. Uh, really into music. Uh, kind of quiet kind of, uh, well, you know, a little, a little withdrawn in, in some ways. He used to wear glasses. He was like, you know, not the, not the crazy dude that you, you know, you think that we know now, <laughs> but you know, he always loved rock and roll. Uh, he always tells the story. The first time he ever got laid was to the song Moni Moni by Tommy Jansen, the shot. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it, didn't, a, he re, didn't he redo that song? Yeah, yeah, he did it when he was solo. Yeah, Moni Moni. But um, and that was the reason he wanted to do the song. But uh, you know, he was an average kid, really into music. Uh, he taught himself how to play guitar a little bit. But you know, he was mostly concerned about school. Um, he was average in school. Um, in fact, that's how he got the name Idol. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, in '71. Uh, he re relocated to Bromley and went to school. Now, in 75, he attended the University of Sussex, 
to pursue an English degree. All right. So he tried college for about a year, but then he dropped out. Okay. So he was kind of pretty well educated, right? Like he wasn't a dumb guy. Like he got some pretty no. good education. No, no, he had full he had full schooling. You know, he wasn't a high school dropout. Uh, but he tried college and it didn't work out. I mean, if you think about what was going on in England in 75, 76, there weren't that many jobs, okay, and the punk scene was big and it's something that, you know, was starting and it's just something that attracted him. Uh he went at that point to form the Bromley Contingent. Now, we've talked about the Bromley Contingent a few times. Uh, they were a group of Sex Pistols fans that kind of all hung out together and went to all the Sex Pistols shows, followed them all over the country. Uh, and they became kind of like a, you know, an entourage almost with the Sex Pistols. They would hang out with them and stuff like that. Uh, the, there's that famous episode of... Um, uh, the Bill Grundy show in England where they had the Sex Pistols on and the Bromley contingent was in the background. And that's when, like, Steve Jones, like, cursed and everything. And, you know, they got every, they got in trouble for that. Uh, Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees would be uh, a member of the contingent as well. Uh, a lot of people in there went on to other, you know, actually form their own bands. So far, so good, man. Yeah, yeah. That information. Now, you know, um, he, like I said, he was a big rock and roll fan. Uh, Elvis was a hero of his. Uh, he got the name Idol, the idea for it, from his teachers saying on the report card that he was Idol, I-D-L-E. <laughs> yeah, that he never showed up. That he never showed up or never did his homework or whatever. Didn't have an interest. Um, he also... He knew that if he used that name, which is something he wanted to go by, uh, he'd have to change it because he thought that Eric Idle from Monty Python would give him a hard time. Because <laughs> okay. that was I-D-L-E. So he changed yeah. it to I-D-O-L. Now, like I said, he taught himself guitar, um, and he joined up at that point once he left school uh, with the West London 60s retro rock band Chelsea. All right. Yeah. The, the band's front man was a guy named Gene October. And he's really kind of credited, I think Idol even admits it, for kind of like inventing Idol's style, like giving him his look. Okay. He convinced him to start wearing contact lenses, get rid of his glasses. Yeah. But Gene was the front man, right? Gene, right. Gene was the front man. Billy was brought in to play guitar. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he, you know, he, he said to uh, October said to, to idol, you know, you got to change your look a little bit. So he, he got rid of his glasses. He started wearing contacts. He dyed his hair blonde and he kept it really short, almost yeah. like, like a crew cut almost. Okay. And other members in the band of Chelsea was Tony James, a friend of Billy's on bass. Yeah. John toe was the drummer. All right. And you had Gene October singing. But after a few rehearsals, the band played. Uh, there was some support gigs in West London and Manchester. They kind of did like 60s rock covers. They didn't really have any originals. But it kind of became clear after a short time that the band wasn't getting along with Gene October. Okay. I think that October kind of felt like Idol and James were trying to take over the band. Or yeah. they were like, you know, they, they were coming at him with originals. And I think he felt like it was it was his band and they were being too dominant. But 
the chemistry for these guys really wasn't right. And in the middle of a gig in November of that year, uh, in 76, Billy Idol and, and Tony James and Toe uh, kicked Gene October off the stage in the middle of a show. Yeah, that's crazy. But he so how do you, your, ba your band kicks the lead singer off the stage. But you know the problem? He thought that the, um, these guys were very creative. That's the thing. Well, yes. You know, like when, Billy when Idol and, and um, yeah, Toe were I, very creative. And, yeah, when Idol and James got together uh, and started songwriting, yeah, yeah. There, there, was, there was some chemistry there. And, uh, but for some reason, I think Gene October, you know, felt it was his band and would write the songs or whatever. I don't know. I don't really know the whole story. But uh, Yeah, because he considered them lightweight. He considered the songs they were writing too lightweight. Yeah, That's what yeah, he called right. them. That's true. He did, yeah, he thought they were like maybe too poppy or something. Yeah, like too, that that's exactly what he thought, too poppy. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, you know, once they kicked Gene October out of the band, that was the end of the band. Uh, Chelsea would actually go on with Gene October and different members. They would They would play for a while. Uh, I think they actually still do play around. Um, but uh, immediately when the other three guys left, they started Generation X. Now, it was a name that they got from a book in Billy Idol's house that his mother was reading. Uh, Tony James came over one night and, and there was a book out and he questioned it. And she said she was reading it. And he said, that's a great name for a band. So. They took that name, and immediately they got some management, a guy named Andrew Sazowski, okay? He was also an accountant, so he was going to do both functions. Was he, like, Polish or Russian or anything? Sazowski? Yeah, I, 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 I think he was Polish. Yeah. Polish, right. Yeah. But uh, Billy Idol, at this point, he gave up playing guitar, at least his lead guitar, okay? He still plays guitar. Uh, you see him in videos and stuff like that, but he just gave yeah. up being the guitarist for Generation X. And would be the front man. Okay. At that point, they needed a guitarist. So they got Bob Durwood Andrews, formerly of the uh, Fulham band Paradox, yeah. joined up. So now you got Toe on drums, you got Billy singing, you got Tony James on bass, and you got Durwood on guitar. And Durwood's a very good guitarist. Yeah. Uh, they played their first gig on December 10th, 1976, at the Central School of Art and Design. At that point, they didn't have that many originals. They were doing mostly covers. But their manager, Andrew Sazowski, recently took over as the manager from the newly opened Roxy Club. Okay, the Roxy. So they got and, in. Yeah, well, he, he got, they got, they were the first band to play that. Yeah. Okay, the, band, the place had just opened. Their manager took over, so it was a great connection to have. Uh, the second gig they ever played was the very first gig at the Roxy. And the Roxy would be one of these places that uh, uh, would feature a lot of punk bands. Okay. Um, Don Letts, I believe, was the DJ there. So he was playing the reggae and the punk. Oh, wow. Okay, and all that. Yeah. Um, it was after this gig that they decided to really concentrate on originals. And they stopped doing covers. They started and, uh, writing. Started writing. And, and they, they wrote very quickly. Um, in early 77, Sazowski would, pa would pass these management duties over to two guys. They were going to have like a co-managing company. All right. A guy named Stuart Joseph, who was uh, mostly a promoter. And then Sounds Magazine journalist, Josh Ingham. Josh Ingham. Uh, he would kind of handle the business end of things and trying to get them a record contract and get interest in them and stuff like that. 
Uh, Sazowski decided to just concentrate on managing the Roxy. That's why he left. On February 16th, 1977, the band went into uh, the D. Lane Lee Studios in Wembley. And it's kind of like the north side of London. Uh, Chiswick Records was interested in them, and they were sponsoring these demos that they were going to do. So Idol and James, they, they had an interesting system that uh, was kind of different when it came to songwriting. Billy was the front man, the singer. Yeah. He actually wrote a lot of the music. Okay, he would write a lot of the guitar parts and stuff like that, and then they would kind of work their way around with bass and drums. Tony James, the bassist, wrote the lyrics that Billy would sing. So it's kind of an interesting opposite of what you normally see, right? Yeah, of course. It's very okay. strange. Yeah, yeah. Now, And at this point, they also got a new manager, right? Yes, they got two new guys. Okay, they got two guys co-managing, Stuart Joseph and Josh Ingle. Okay. Right, Sazowski just decided to manage the club. That was yeah. it. Yeah. So um, lyrics that, that Tony James was writing at first were kind of like political. Yeah. Uh, somewhat in the sense of like what The Clash was writing. Uh, they were, he would write things criticizing the National Front, which was a big right-wing group at the time. Yeah. And, and uh, also he, in, in some of his lyrics, he criticized uh, England's involvement in Northern Ireland. But these kind of early songs with these political lyrics would be dropped. They would never be released or not officially on any albums. Uh, they decided to go in a different direction, write stuff that was maybe a little more accessible, um, which was, uh, you know, different than what other punk bands were doing. But I'll get into that more. Now, one track they had was called Your Generation. And another track was called Listen. And these two songs would be pressed on a kind of blank labeled vinyl, white vinyl. And at first they did 250 copies. They ran out and then they did an additional 500. And they would basically give this out as promotion at clubs and record stores. And they kind of like shopped it to different labels. Yeah. So when they, when they go to a label, they say, hey, here's us, here's a record, put it on. Put it on. Now, by mid-March 77, the band was touring England heavily. And at a particular gig at the University of Leicester, Derwood got hit in the head with a beer bottle. Uh, <laughs> someone chucked the bottle at him, and it, it actually hurt him pretty bad. He had to go to the hospital. They had to yeah. stop the show. Okay. This was the, the, the punk time. This was, this was in England. Um, they were still touring extensively, uh, you know, working in the studio a little bit and touring a lot. They did their first international date in mid-April in Paris. Okay, yeah. had a show, and that was a show they did with the Jam and the Police. That's pretty okay. impressive. Think about yeah. that. You just started. Yeah. And you're playing with the Jam and the I, Police. I think I, I think this co this co management company they had between Ingham and and Joseph was very good. I think yeah. uh, I think it worked for them in the, in the early years, getting them good shows and stuff like that. Um, they ended up recording their first BBC live show, also at that Paris international show they did. Uh, shortly after the band agreed to let drummer John Toe go, all right, James and Idol kind of felt that, you know, the direction the band was going, his image didn't fit, and his drumming style really didn't fit with the band. 
Yeah, so he actually to get somebody up, else. Yeah, he ended up joining a band called Alternative TV, which had some success. Yeah, they're, they're another good band. Yeah, yeah, TV. they are actually. I have one of their albums. Um, Billy Idol and Tony <laughs> James at this point, they uh, began like a, a publicized auditioning process. Okay, it was well known that Generation X needed a drummer. So they tried out a lot of people. And they ended up getting Mark Laff. He was the drummer in the band Subway Sect. He left mm -hmm. them in uh, May of 77 to join Generation X. Now, between June and August, Laff rehearsed extensively that whole summer with Generation X to become familiar with their songs and their style. Um, All right. In, in, in mid-July, the band signed a contract with Chrysalis Records, so they finally got the deal they wanted, you know. And actually, uh, Idol would stay with Chrysalis through even think, even I, after, yeah, even after, yeah, yeah, like all like that Rebel Yell stuff and his first solo album and everything, that was all on Chrysalis. But we'll see why. We're gonna go into that right. at the end. So they're re they're recording an album now, right? Their full album. Yeah, yeah. Now this this is uh, well, they were gonna go with some singles at first. Yeah, of course. Uh, they they went into band. yeah they they went into the uh, Wessex Sound Studios in North London, mm -hmm. and they were working with a producer named Bill Price, but it didn't work out. They kind of like did some recordings, listened to them, and said, "Nah, this you don't get our sound." Um, they ended up asking Chrysalis for a new person to work with them. Uh, they ended up with Phil Wayman, and yeah. at the end of July, they shifted over to the Morgan Studios in the Willisden section and recorded Your Generation as a first single. Okay. Now, Phil Wayman, even though he was a much better fit than Bill Price, he, yeah. had, his he had his doubts about Generation X. Yeah, he didn't think they were yeah, he, he, musically he like, good. He didn't like Billy Idol singing for some reason. And he also thought that uh, Mark Laugh's drumming was, was terrible, all right? But they soldiered on, whatever it was. They were able to work it, work through the differences. Now, Your Generation was released as a single in September of 77, with the B-side being a song called Day by Day. It got to number 36 on the UK charts, and <laughs> immediately off the bat, it was, it was shit on. Elton John himself... <laughs> actually, actually critiqued it in a record mirror magazine and called it dreadful garbage. All right. Now, you know, I'll be honest with you. If I was in Generation X and, and I released a single and Elton John said it was shit, I would, I would, I would, I would be happy. I'd make a T-shirt of that review. Yeah, <laughs> it's a dreadful, dreadful fucking sound. Yeah, because by '77, John was pretty dreadful himself, actually, but. However, uh, even though John was saying this, Mark Bolin, who had his own TV show, and he was in the that middle of making a comeback. He we liked talked that. about that. Yes, Remember? we did. We talked about how Billy Idol was on his show. Right. Yeah. Uh, they, they ended up asking Generation X to come on the Mark TV show, which was like a variety show that he did every afternoon. Now, them going on the show was, was huge. A, was, was huge. Okay. It pushed them to be way bigger. So... It was a very well-liked performance, and they recorded it at the Granada Studios in Manchester. Now, an interesting thing happened. Mark Laff used 
Granada Studios drum kit to do the to do the performance. Okay, which is common. Uh, drummers don't like to carry all their shit around, so they borrowed a drum kit. All right, <laughs> the studio. But <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the gig, Mark left made off with it. He just took off with the drum. Yeah, and, and it, so it, what happened? They ended up they ended up being banned. <laughs> the whole band was banned from for ten years. For ten years. <laughs> That's funny. For stealing a fucking drum kit. It must have been a good drum kit. It must have been. Oh, they had. Yeah, I'm had. sure they had the best. You know, that's probably why he wanted to take it. It was probably better than what he had. Now, it was around this time that some punk rockers and competing bands didn't know what to make of Generation X. Uh, first of all, one thing the band did that I I think it it's one of the greatest things about them, but at the time was 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 viewed upon badly, is they actually admitted and and talked about their influences. They were influenced by the Who. They were influenced by the Beatles. They yeah. were influenced by the Stones. Okay, but this was something that the the UK punk bands were not doing. They were kind of like saying, "Look, everything before us sucks, except for a few people here and there." But mostly, like you know, we're, we're starting a whole new thing. And I mean, I, and I get it. Okay, like the Clash had a song called "1977" that was out. And one of the lyrics is no Elvis Beatles or the Rolling Stones in 1977. So, but Billy Idol and, and, and Tony James would say, yeah, you know, we, we love the who. Yeah. Okay. They used to do can't explain by the who, yeah. a very early who song. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it, it didn't sit well with uh, the emerging kind of like punk elitists of the time. Okay. And, uh, you know, th they would get criticized by like, Johnny Rotten and stuff like that. They yeah. take them seriously, but I think they're I, I think they're one of the best bands. But um, image, I think they just they just did their own thing. They didn't care. Well, yeah, they, they did didn't their own care. Thing. I don't think they cared what the other bands said that they weren't punk enough or something like that. Okay, and, I, and who's the biggest star? Billy Idol or Johnny Rotten? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean Billy Idol went on to the way think bigger star. Yeah, you know, but um image within generation x was was very important okay uh they were very conscious of how that can push them as a band so what they did was uh co-manager john ingham he introduced them to graphic artist barney bubbles and barney bubbles helped them create the cover art for the your generation single yep. it was based on kind of like a russian designer named l lisitsky Okay, Lisitsky uh, was popular in the 1920s, and he had these kind of like geometric designs on that. You know, that was the influence Generation X. Uh, if you look at their like album covers or their some of their singles, there's always kind of like lines, like geometric yeah. lines and stuff like that. The Buzzcocks had a similar kind of design. Oh, yeah, the Buzzcocks. They but they, they also did that to sell, like, merch, like T-shirts. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was brilliant. They, 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 they were actually a, a little bit ahead of the curve in that. Yeah. Okay, they, they actually sold, uh, you know, customized T-shirts and things like that to, to, to help promote them. Yeah. Uh, also, this guy, Bubbles, he would design their newspaper advertisements for when they were playing shows. They put an ad out. And their posters. They had yeah. posters for sale, too. And I think this kind of like, I think other bands might have been a little more jealous of them in a way. Yeah. Uh, because they kind of had their shit together more than yeah. some of the other bands. And but there's Mike, nothing wrong with that. 
yeah, you want to hear something? But they were also very unique looking. Like when you saw them, they looked like very like, yo, I want to hang out with these guys because they were very, like they were young, but they were very cool looking. Like, you know, yeah, like, well, they had they ahead had, of the time. Yeah, I mean, sometimes uh, Billy Ida would wear like ruffled shirts and things like that. Nobody yeah. was really looking like that too much. John Lydon had an interesting look compared yeah. to the other punks. Like he didn't wear like a motorcycle jacket much no. or anything like that. He would wear like the dress shirts with vests and things like that. Yeah, and, yeah you know, and, and, and Idol had his own look. Uh, they changed They changed their look kind of like often. You know, yeah. they went for different different styles depending on, you know, the, the album that was out. Yeah. But now, because of this top 40 success with uh, Your Generation, the, big, the band became one of the first punk bands to ever go on top of the pops. Uh, their performance was very well received by the mainstream media. Yep. And uh, they were kind of like regarded as a punk band that could really make it. That could be like, you know, sell a lot of albums. Okay. And, uh, but I, I think that had to do with they were kind of like less nihilistic less negative than some of the other bands. They didn't, yeah, of course, you know, they weren't really like snarling and scary like the sex pistols were. Okay. But, uh, and I think that, that it, it, it made the mainstream like them in a way. Okay. The mainstream rock journalists and stuff like that. Now this caused a further divide though, among punk rockers in the scene. Okay. As to if generation X was kind of like the real thing or just posers. Um, in some circles, they were considered posers. Uh, they, they, people said, oh, they're not working class enough because they didn't come from like a, a very working class background. All right. Uh, one particular article that was written by New Musical Express's Tony Parsons. Uh, yeah. He was interviewing Billy Idol early on in Generation X's career. And they met at a pub. And in the article, they talk about, you know, Idol shows up for the interview and Tony Parsons says, you know, what do you want to drink? And he asks for an orange juice. Right, so, he, you know, he, he didn't drink. Uh, he, didn't he, drink. He, he didn't drink that much. Um, and it Why also kind of says that. that familiar to me, Tony Parsons? Tony Parsons. Yeah, he, he, he might have done some work for Rolling Stone, maybe, or something in America. I know the I, name, too. I, I think we definitely too. used the name in other We might have mentioned just, it. Yeah. So they go out and they're drinking and he ordered oranges and right, everybody right. shits so on him. Yeah, yeah. So he made fun of him for that. And also uh, there was some question that he asked him in the, in, the, in the interview about like the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. And he kind of like, Billy Idol kind of rejected it. Now, I don't really buy this because, you know, if you know the reputation of Billy Idol, even in the Generation X days, okay, it's, uh, you know, he ended up on some heavy drugs. So he was part of oh, yeah. Okay. But he was also getting pussy left and right because, look, let's face it, Billy Idol's a good looking guy. Yeah. He was the front man of Generation X. And he's just yeah. known, he's known as a hound. He's known as that. Okay, but you know from, what? It was kind of cool that they just didn't put it out there. They were doing all this shit and not letting a lot of the dirt. I think the problem was they didn't let a lot of the dirty laundry out. There weren't any scandal. They were just. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, they, 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 this, any scandals that the band had were more media created by and yeah. fan and fan created, like it wasn't real, you know. Yeah, it wasn't real, you know. Um, one thing about Generation X that stood out among the other punk bands is they were very melodic. Okay, if you listen to them, the, 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 the songs are very, very catchy. 
if anything, oh, yeah. I would, if anything, I would compare them maybe to the Buzzcocks more than any of the other bands. The um, Buzzcocks are good too, and we did a yep, show on them. Yep, we did a great show on them. Um, they, like I said, they were influenced by the Who. The Who was melodic. Uh, the Small Faces was an influence. They were melodic. So you know their influences shown through more than other bands' influences. So also they focused their lyrics on kind of like adolescent things, teenage things, and like living in West London, growing up in the seventies. Uh, in 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 that area was a topic that they they would sing about a lot. A song called "Kiss Me Deadly" was a track. Oh, Great it's song. Ba- it's, yeah, it's sort of a ballad. It, it touched on adolescent themes. Um, they they were you know like I said they were clearly less negative or nihilistic than some of the other bands, uh, and they would get criticism for that. But I don't I don't think they cared. They 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 persevered. Um, in late September, early October of seventy seven, the band with producer Phil Wayman at Utopia Studios in North London prepared demos for their first full album. So now they're going to go in and do an album. To keep fans happy at that point, they uh, in mid-November, they released the Wild Youth single. And its B-side had a song called Wild Dub. And it's one of the first attempts at kind of like mixing punk and reggae. The Clash had done it. They covered Police and Thieves around that time, uh, yeah. a, a reggae song. And that was released as a single. Uh, Billy Idol himself was always a, a, a large reggae fan. Uh, he was very into, into that, and he admitted it. Uh, unfortunately, Wild Youth and Wild Dub was really the only single that they ever released that didn't chart. It's a great song. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know why it just didn't chart. Uh, but if you listen to Wild Dub, it's an interesting mix of Wild Youth with kind of some reggae beats in the background and stuff. And you know, it's it's kind of like the first time they would mix rock, uh, punk rock, and reggae. Um, now, and that was pretty that, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Not too many people were doing that. I mean, the Clash were at the forefront with that kind of. Uh, they would expand on that much later on. Um, but Generation X was one of the only other bands. Subway Sect, they touched on some reggae, a couple others, but but most didn't do that. Even if they were big fans, they, they didn't go into it. But at the end of 77, John Ingham had a falling out uh, with Tony James. He actually got into a fist fight with him, all right? And he would leave the band. Uh, I'll leave the, the management of the band. Now, Stuart Joseph at that point became their only manager in charge. Uh, Ingham at that point actually left the country and relocated to the United States. In February 78, Generation X released the Ready, Steady, Go single, with the B-side being a song called No, No, No. Yep. Uh, the Bubbles designed cover for the single was taken from a band t-shirt that he had designed as well. Uh, the single didn't quite make the top 40, but the band was was very busy touring, very hectic touring schedule at that point. But I um, think this band was definitely a very good uh, live band to see. Like, yes. They were very yes. engineering. They were like, they just had that chemistry for a live show. Idol, you know? Idol was, uh, you know, he'd jump all over the place. You know, it was very, very exciting. Uh, I've seen some footage of them stuff, them playing, uh, the punk rock movie that was filmed by Don Letts, uh, I think, has some footage at the Roxy and a couple other places. Uh, Generation X is featured in it, and you can see he's definitely just fucking great. Yeah. You know, um, in March of 78, the first album entitled Generation X was released, 
Uh, it was actually, they ended up using producer Martin Rushant uh, and recorded it at TW Studios in Fulham after the band decided they didn't work with, want to work with Phil Wayman anymore. Uh, the album would get to number 29 on the UK album charts. In April, uh, New Musical Express did a two-page center spread on them. And it featured Billy Idol and Tony James on the River Thames beneath what's called the Embankment. It's like a famous spot. Um, the, way the, 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 the way the picture was kind of shown in the magazine, they put Idol and James separate from the rest of the band. And a lot of people looked at that, kind of read some meaning into it that the band was divided. Mm -hmm. Yeah, break it up. I, I, I know. To me, it, it, to me, it just seems like nonsense. It was probably just the way they decided to do these two pages, right? They opened it yeah. up, and there's your, your two pages in the magazine. I don't know. I mean, it's obvious that Idol and, and, and James were the stars of the band. It's kind of like, you know, like Richards and, and Jagger, okay? You kind of like emphasize them. Uh, but in the picture, Mark Laff and Durwood Andrews were kind of like in a different picture to the side. And it just, you know, it created like this mystery, like, oh, do these guys think they're like better than the rest of the band? Or, you know, something like that. But in May, uh, the band went to the USA for the first time. OK, uh, they had a, a good short tour here in the States. Um, and they after that, they ended up going to Paris in June to do some uh, live BBC recordings again. Uh, like they had done the, uh, the year earlier. They, they um, loved Amanda BBC. Well, yeah, there's several BBC recordings that you could listen to of Generation X. They're very good. Yeah. In October, uh, it was announced that Generation X would uh, work with former Matahupu frontman Ian Hunter as producer. Okay, he would be producing their second record. The move was criticized off the bat as kind of like a sellout. All right, or an attempt to go more mainstream. But Idol and James were like huge Mata Hoople fans. And they just wanted to work with Ian Hunter. I mean, he was like a hero. You know? Yeah. And, it was definitely uh, a hero. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were definitely influenced by Mata Hoople. Another guy who loved Mata Hoople was Mick Jones from The Clash. Yep. Okay. He was actually in something called The Mott Lot that would follow Mata Hoople around. This was like 73, 74. They would follow them around, kind of like the Bromley contingent did with the Sex Pistols. But uh, I don't know. The Clash never got they never got any uh, any criticism for their influences. You know, I guess it's just whatever. But the album, which would be called Valley of the Dolls, was definitely an, an evolvement of their sound. Yeah. But to me, to me, it's not it's not a sellout. In fact, I think it's their best album. It was three. a good album. They got you know, they, they 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 had like these like songs with lyrics about British life. There's a song called English Dream. Uh, you know, it, it, I think they were kind of going in almost a kinks direction. Yeah, because they be, they became way more British on that second album than they were on the first album. And it's just the kinks are like so British on everything they do. Yeah, right? so it just kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I also think they just got a lot of hate from the punk, punk groups and stuff. You yeah, know, they yeah, just like oh, you're like, gonna go, oh, you're gonna go work with a rock star now. You're a sellout. Yeah, you know? that was the problem with the UK punk scene. It got very like clicky and elitist, and you know there were groups in there that that 
weren't as open-minded as they should be. If you listen to the first generation exile, it's great. Yeah. Then you go to the second one, and it's like Holy you shit. can't even. It's it's like you can't even say like it's a sophomore jinx, you know? Like the second album is not as no. good as the first. It's. I think it's better. They the, the songwriting evolved. They still had a punk edge. Yeah. Okay, but but it was like just expanded. The songs weren't that short. They were a little bit longer. Uh, I think there's even like the. Uh, there's there's one song that has like a part one and a part two. Yeah, the song Ken, Kenny Silver's, I believe it's called. I'm almost considering them more like a rock band than a punk band in many ways, especially with that second well, at album. This, at this more... point, yeah, at this point they were kind of like, yeah, definitely a little less punk, a little more rock and roll. Yeah. But I, I think it's I think it's a great album. Um, they would start having trouble at this point though with Chrysalis Records. In January of 79, manager Stuart Joseph was called into their offices and told that the label was not happy with the recent chart success of Generation X, all right, compared with the money that they were putting in. They'd been through different producers, you know, there was a lot, you know, singles were coming out, and they felt that they basically told Stuart Joseph, if you guys don't have a hit on your next single, we're dropping you. Okay? So... Joseph announced this to the band that, you know, this was happening and he cut their weekly wages. Okay. As an incentive to make them work harder in the studio. And it worked because the next single they put out was called King rocker. And it was off the Valley of the dolls album. And, uh, the B side was a cover of John Lennon's give me some truth. That was a <laughs> live, it was a live recording of it. And, yeah. uh, it ended up being a number 11 song. Got to number 11 in the UK. It was their biggest single. All right. But now you have to realize it was actually a little bit of a promotional trick behind this. What they did was they released four different versions of that single with different cover sleeves designed by Barney Bubbles. Each one was a picture of a band member and kind of like Generation X design and logo and if you got all four you had all members of the band it made kind of like a picture so that was that was pretty genius right so if you were a fan you wanted to buy all four right so that was a very smart thing to do because who knows if that out that single would have went to number 11 if everybody wasn't buying four at a time right yeah, but that's that's brilliant. You yeah, want to get it was. It was. I don't think anybody in the punk scene had done anything like that. You know what they should have done? They should have done that with that one song, but have a second. Uh, every album had a different beat side song. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things you could do. You know, uh, it you just have to. You got to have the the backing of the record company to make something yeah. like that too. They got to pay for all the, and it was actually colored vinyl too, which which is always more expensive than than regular black vinyl. You know? Yeah. So um, even though they had a hit single, the band's album for Val- album sales for Valley of the Dolls was not that good. It only got to number 51. Wow. And for some reason, the critics didn't really like the album. They felt it was kind of overblown and artistically hollow. Uh, again, I don't agree with that at all. I think it's their best work. But, um, you know, people felt the album's concept and themes didn't just it just didn't register with people for some reason but 
what happened was the poor performance of this album, it kind of created a problem in the band because Billy Idol was still writing most of the music. Tony James yeah. was writing most of the lyrics. And it kind of made Idol think like James is really not that good. Yeah. You know, it, it, he started to lose confidence in his friend. And um, also particular gigs were getting nasty. Uh, one particular they, they, they did in February of 79 after the album came out, um, they were on a triple bill uh, with a band called the UK Subs being part of the bill. Yeah, uh, UK, the, sub the, the UK Subs were like a, a totally different thing. This was punk rock was starting to change uh, in some ways in England from 79, 1980. You started having what would eventually be called the UK 82 scene. Bands like the UK Subs, GBH, um, Discharge, bands like that, that were more street punk. More, I mean, the shows were more violent. Uh, this was when you started seeing people wearing spikes and chains and uh, mohawks and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Okay. And, you know, Generation X were more, <laughs> I don't want to say poppy. I don't know. They just had, they, they were the opposite of that. Okay. They were very poppy. There was a gig they did with the UK subs where at the Lyceum Ballroom in England that they actually got, they had to leave the stage because they were being hit with so much shit from people in the audience. The UK sub fans were throwing shit at them. Yeah. Okay. So they had to leave the stage. Now, the title track to Valley of the Dolls would peak at number 23 in March of 79. And then another single called Friday's Angels kind of died at number 62. And this created more problems in the band. Um, it, it was kind of like a growing tension between Dorwood, the guitarist, yeah. and Billy Idol. Uh, Billy Idol at this point was, was more increasingly getting into drugs, particularly heavy drugs like heroin and cocaine. Um, and it was kind of like changing his personality a bit within the band. And Durwood was starting to butt heads with him. Also, Durwood would come at the band with songs, and they wouldn't they wouldn't listen to him. They, nah, wouldn't, let him, right. they wouldn't let him do any of his songs. He was also uh, getting interested in 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 what would be known as like the indie rock scene that was starting at the time with bands like Joy Division. Yeah, all right. Joy Division was was becoming very popular. They were from Manchester. Um, they it was a little bit of a different sound. And Durwood was interested in it and kind of wanted to go in that direction with Generation X, but they, they didn't want to you know, listen to him at all. Um, he just felt his ideas were never considered, basically. So by the end of the first tour of Japan that they did in 1979, uh, manager Stuart Joseph left. Okay, He had some legal problems. Some things happened. He ended up leaving the managing of the band. Um, and the band at that point didn't have a manager, but they hit the Olympic studios in the barn section and they recorded a third album. They were, they were going to start recording a third album, but everything came to a head within like two weeks after they started. Uh, Andrews quit right before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, he had enough and left. They, in the process, they ended up firing him. All right. Wow. They ended up firing him. Uh, they felt it was. He didn't fit in the band. Uh, Idol thought that Laugh wasn't a good enough drummer. Uh, Laugh said that 
they, they, he, they were stealing songs from him, that he wanted some songwriting credits. And uh, wow, yeah, so they had a big fight over that. Uh, during the Valley of the Dolls sessions, though, at one point, um, Ian Hunter told Billy Idol he didn't like Mark Laugh's drumming and he wanted to bring in a sessions drummer. Okay, and they actually did that on Valley of the Dolls, they actually brought in another guy. I don't know, I don't know who it is, he's not credited. Uh, but uh, he was brought in to do some of Laugh's drum parts. That wow. Ian Hunter felt wasn't good enough. And I think, you know, Ian Hunter was very influential on Billy Idol. And the fact that he didn't like Laugh, he probably started to doubt Laugh as well at that point. Now, the, the recordings they were working on, though, would, would be stopped. And it, it, the working title they had for it was called Sweet Revenge. Sweet Revenge was like kind of like a lost third generation x album yeah and it would be released 20 years later um you know many many years later but uh it was way after the band had split up and billy idol had his own career yeah they, they were having out. problems already but i think billy idol was already looking at becoming a single artist you know right right now uh, that's true um uh andrews suspected that there was like rumors that he was going to leave the band and go solo um they would do their very last gig as Generation X on November 30th, 1979 at a, a place called the Jamaican Club in Gloucester. That'd be their last gig. Uh, the band was kind of done at that point, but Idol and James wanted to go on. So they put a line out to the music press that Generation X broke up because Laugh and Andrews tended to sound too much like Deep Purple. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I thought okay. that was funny. So I think they, they, were, they were putting that out as some kind of, you know, to control the narrative of it all, I guess, even though that wasn't the case. Uh, they recruited Terry Chimes on drums, who had worked with The Clash earlier and stuff like that. Yeah, let's take and, because he's familiar. He sounds very Terry Chimes. Yeah, Terry Chimes yeah. played with a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and they ended up getting a new manager in American, Bill Acoin. Okay. Now, Bill Acoin was very responsible with KISS, okay, for KISS uh, in America. Uh, he was a New York guy, I believe. Um, this was something that they thought would help them break in America, okay? But in reality, Bill, Bill Cole, had, really, he only had his eyes on Billy Idol. Yeah, he wanted okay. a Billy Idol we'll, for the we'll American. Get into that. We'll get into that in a second. Now, in March of 1980, they found guitarist Steve New to play with them. Uh, Steve New was a member of the Rich Kids. Uh, he played with, with Glenn Matlock with the Rich Kids. Uh, a couple other bands. He was very well respected as a guitar player. Uh, but he also had a very bad reputation as a serious dope addict. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was really in, uh, in bad shape drug-wise. They wanted to ask him to be a, a full member of Gen... Of, uh, they were calling themselves Gen X now. Yeah. Okay? Not Generation X, I have to mention that. Uh, but uh, they, they were considering Steve New as a full-time member. But it just wasn't going to happen because Idol and James were like, no, this guy's too fucked up. So they went into Eel Pie Studios in the Soho section of England to start doing some demos. Um, by mid-1980, they went into the AIR studios to re-record some of the Sweet Revenge songs. Yeah, that they had from the, the, the prior year. Uh, they also had some new songs to, to put out, uh, to work on and record. But Bill Coyne 
had these other plans. He he wanted to bring Billy Idol to America as a solo artist. That was what he would eventually do. Okay, uh, Chrysalis Records were told at this point by Billicoin that if they funded the Gen X endeavor to make a new album in the studios, that he would give them Billy Idol as a solo artist and that Billy Idol would be a big star in America. So I don't know what he, I don't know how he convinced Chrysalis, but he did that. He could do it. He definitely did. Yeah. And so they, they would, what they did is, uh, and I, I, you know, what's, what's strange about this. And I'm trying to remember uh, Billy Idol's autobiography, which I read, which was pretty good. I, I don't know how much Gen X knew that this was the plan or not, like the other guys. I don't, I don't think it, they it knew kinda, at all. It's kinda, yeah, I, I think they suspected something, but, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they now they got the full cooperation of Chrysalis, and they give them uh, several session musicians, including Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, to be wow. on the album. Okay. Uh, they also had John McGeog, who played with Susie and the Banshees, and yep. Danny Custo from, from the Tom Robinson band. So these were like very good guitar players that were brought in for a, a Gen X album. Um, and again, Steve New was also brought in, but they really at that point didn't have an official guitarist in the band. But let me ask you, um, do you think what they were doing these songs that were Billy Billy I was doing some single songs on the side with the band left? That's where they got so many good guitarists. No, I'll, I'll no, he wasn't recording anything separate. Um let me let me just finish this and we'll talk about yeah. that because it, it's interesting what happened in the in the very first uh American single from Billy Idol. But okay. um now, now, um, the Kiss Me Deadly album, that's the third album. That's what we call Kiss Me Deadly. Yeah. In January of 81, Keith Forsey was brought in to produce that album. But it became like a shit show in, in, when they were recording this. Uh, there was so much heroin and cocaine going on between Steve New, Steve Jones, and Billy Idol oh. that, like, to, that like Tony James was just like fed up. He was like, you know, the recording was slow. The process was slow. Everybody was not all together. Uh, uh, James didn't get along with Keith Forsey. Okay, so it was really falling apart in the making of that album. Uh, ironically, even though Billy Idol was getting heavier into drugs, uh, he was writing songs more on his own, away from Tony James, but he was writing songs like that were anti-drug. Okay, he wrote a song called "Happy People," which is about Valium use. Okay, <laughs> he wrote he wrote a song called "Poison," which is sort of about heroin. Okay, and there was also a song called "Heaven's Inside" on that album that was kind of like about how they wanted to have Steve New in the band, but didn't want to ask him because he was too fucked up. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Billy Idol was thinking because he was probably just as fucked up as Steve New at that point. Okay. But he, I think he knew he was fucked up. Yeah, I guess. Maybe he was warning people, you know what I mean? But he would he would continue through the 80s. I mean, uh, you know, if you read Billy Idol's biography, uh, autobiography, you know, he doesn't even remember recording the Rebel Yell album. <laughs> and that's, that's a great fu- album. That's how fucked up he was. Yeah, I mean, that was the album that broke it open for him. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, he doesn't remember being, I mean, it was recorded here in the city. He doesn't remember. He said there was just so much, they were snorting so much dope. It was just, it, the stories in the studios, it was just the studios were nothing but like drug parties and orgies. This is nuts. Now, the one standout on that, that record, Kiss Me Deadly, that you have to talk about is the song Dancing With Myself. Yeah. Okay, now, it was released as a single by Gen X, but it tanked. It didn't, it didn't go anywhere. Uh, that was a, a, a little bit of a different sound for them, that song. It was kind of like still punkish, but it was, it was a, a little bit more poppy, quite a bit more poppy. Yeah. Uh, and, and that would be the song that they would release on an EP in America. When when Idol would leave now. Before I get into that, the the they they did take on ex Chelsea guitarist James Stevenson after the album was released. Okay, they got him as a band member on guitar. They only did a few shows, um, and basically broke up by February of '81, because at that point, Idol said, "Forget it, I'm breaking. I'm going to America." Uh, Bill a coin. Would, would, would take him to America. What he did was he basically took him, set him up in an apartment on the east side, kind of like near where you live, all right? He would live over there for a little while. And then uh, he also had an apartment shortly after on Barrow Street in the West Village for a while. And the, a coin took him all over the East Village, the punk scene, CBGBs, Max's, Place Danceteria, places like that, that uh, the whole underground scene was hanging out in. And they, he, they just introduced him as like the next big thing. And Dancing With Myself would be recut with a different band. He would have Steve Stevens on guitar. He'd be introduced to him when he got to America. Uh, Steve Stevens was the guy with the big black hair, you know, that played guitar for him. Yeah. Um, you know, that EP that came out in, I want to say, 1982, I think it finally came out when he had been to America. Uh, he had done Dance With Myself. It was called Don't Stop, the the, uh, the EP. And uh, it, had, it had Dance With Myself, I think a song called Don't Stop. Uh, trying to remember if uh, Moni Moni was on there, too. It was like Moni an early version of Moni Moni. And one other song, I think. And that was really, that was it. I mean, it was no looking back after that. I don't Yeah, because um, Dancing, Dancing With Myself, myself. what's big? Yeah, it, it was a big MTV hit. Yeah. And you just and, see them on nobody, the roof. Nobody realized the song's about Jerk It Off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all it's about. Okay. Uh, Tony James would go on to success in 6'6 Six Six Sputnik. Uh, in the 80s, and also he did a, a stint in Sisters of Mercy, uh, and he was pretty good in that. Uh, they would get together years, years later, uh, and do a couple of reunion shows over the years, uh, just kind of one-off things when Billy Idol was on tour and stuff like that. But I would love to see Generation X get back together and do an album. I would love to yeah, see that. Yeah, because they got together on September 20th, 1993. They all got together for a one-off yeah. performance. 
You know? Yeah, uh, I think it was something like at the end of a Billy Idol tour, they just kind of. And then up. on October, um, October thirtieth, uh, Billy Idol, Tony uh, James, and also with Steve Jones and Paul Cook, formerly of the Sex Pistols, so they did a small gig oh, at yeah. the Roxy Ge- in Hollywood. Yeah, what was the name of that? Was it was it Generation Sex? Yeah, Generation something? Sex. Yeah, yeah, that was like they they did Generation X and Sex Pistols song. Yeah. Because Steve Jones was in the Sex Pistols, which I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, pretty clever, pretty clever. You know, so look, that's that's Generation X, guys. I, I think that uh, they're one of the most important of the UK punk bands. Some people don't take them seriously, but I just, I just, I think they're fucking great. I think they were I, one of the best ones. I just think they were like, um, they were like, um, they were like their own bedfellows. Like they were on their own journey. They didn't care about the rest of the. They weren't they, 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 so they were like the one that they were outside of the establishment. They were part of the establishment, but nobody wanted them in the establishment. But they had their own fans and they made their own music. And what else can you say about them? You know? Yeah, I mean, uh, Billy Idol's one thing about him, and 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 I, I kind of got a soft spot for Billy Idol. He's corny, you know, and the some some of his stuff is not that good. But the first like album, the first solo album. With dance with myself at White Wedding and stuff like that's pretty good. Uh, White Wedding is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Rebel Yell is. I, I look back at it fondly. It's not the greatest album, but but it's. I mean, it broke open for him. I mean, everybody loved it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he's one of these guys. Like, if I see him on TV, I watch. If I if I catch something, I'll you know on on the internet i'll look at it he's always kind of acknowledged generation x like he always would do the song kiss me deadly live yeah. which is which is cool uh dance with myself started out as a generation x song uh and he would always do like two or three maybe your generation ready steady go he's done yeah. that you know with, with his solo band so it's cool that he acknowledges it you know it was what got him to start you know it's always yeah. funny how you see him like in Weddy Crasher and the Goldbergs, which I think is funny. The, the, the what and, and how about um, what was the uh, what was the um, uh, Adam Sandler movie? Uh, 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 wedding the Wedding Singer. The Wedding Singer. Wedding Singer. Yeah, Wedding Singer. Yeah. He was at there. the at the end when they're on the plane and Billy Adam's on the plane. That's yeah, fucking funny. That was funny. You know what? Yeah. So I think maybe in the future we'll do like a show just about Billy Idol, I guess. Um, yeah, we could, we could, I mean, it'll be a short one, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, I'd like to do like a a making of the Valley of the Dolls album. I think that's interesting. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. With Ian Hunter, you know, um, try to put together a little, a little show about that. Uh, yeah. I mean, Ian Hunter was the making, the making of Rebel Yell. I mean, it's all just debauchery. (laughs) I can see that. Oh, there was shit going on there with more drugs and. Sex and shit like that was a oh, real yeah. rock and roll story. You want to talk about a rock and oh, roll yeah. story? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, what's mentioned in the Idol book often is is just like the they doesn't even remember half the shit. It's just I don't know how we I don't know how, I don't know how we wrote the book. He must have had to ask a lot of people like what. Happened. Wow. <laughs> hey, mate, do you remember this? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I got no idea. That would be like you know. one of our nights. What yeah, the hell yeah. happened? I have no idea. I mean, idea. He, it's a, if you read the book, it's a, it's amazing um, how much 
really what he did and, and and he like almost died a couple of times and like that was never mentioned in the press wow okay i mean he was so he was so huge you would think like if he almost died from drugs you'd hear about it but they covered nah. that up they probably they covered, did, i mean i can remember seeing him at the mtv music awards in the 80s like 84 85 86 oh he was and up. he was coked out of his mind his eyeballs so looked like so, his eyeballs looked like sources yeah you know and nobody said nothing. Nobody <laughs> said like, that. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, that's all I got for you today, Mr. Ross. Pretty good show, uh, Mike. Generation X, um, pretty exciting. Um, and then um, I, I think the next person we have next week, the next I think, uh, doing. Yeah, it's about some Irish punk bands, I think. Yeah, it's uh, um, what the Stiff hell? Stiff Little Figures it? and the Stiff Undertones. Stiff Little and the Undertones. Yeah, yes. we got two bands to talk about next. Two week. bands yeah. about. So we pretty much just finished October, and the next time the show is November second. Yeah, yeah. Well, this one we went Facebook Live, everybody, so you're getting a, a little glimpse of it. It'll be re-released again at the end of October. Um, and I just want to remind everybody on the Rock Show podcast group page, please vote for the. Uh, December schedule, okay? If you're watching right now in September, I'm taking votes all through September to try to schedule that show. So pick a band you want, let me know. It's on the Rock Show group page. Information about it, just put in the comments the band you want us to talk about, and we'll do that. Yep, and uh, Mike, how can they get in uh, touch with you then? Okay, you could find me on Instagram, rockermike212, rockermike212. Rocker Mike 3 on Twitter and also on the Facebook Michael Baker and of course on the Rock Show podcast group page on Facebook. And, and Rob, definitely on Twitter they should definitely follow you because you put like song of the day. You put a lot of Rocker you, Mike you probably... 3 on Twitter. Yeah, I, I do song of the day. Uh well it's you know I do that all on the, the group page as well. But you do it everywhere, Twitter. yeah. Because I, I see you all, every, every, every few of I get a Twitter message, rock of my head, it's on the <laughs> day or this or that. Um, and yeah. me, you can uh, reach me at anything like Blumped Up. Um, you can also get me in the uh, Rock Show um, fan page on Facebook. And uh, pretty much if you look up, you'd be shocked if you go on Google and you look Blumped Up and you see all the shows come out. And we're probably like on 400 different platforms where you can get the podcast. So you right. know what? We're just moving along and um, you know making this thing grow. Hopefully soon, um, you know what? We'll get some sponsor and um, the show is just going to evolve and it's getting bigger and better. We're getting about four five hundred downloads per show. So you know what? That's pretty good so far. And yeah. uh, just with the whole network, like the whole lumped up thing, we will get like a, about three thousand hits a week, which is pretty good. Right, right. And can't forget the original show, The Freak Show. It's doing the well, Freak too. Show, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's like a lumped-up network, and we work a lot of stuff. Um, I, I, You know what show I'm looking forward to? The Lester uh, Banks show. I think that's going to be a fantastic yeah, show. Yeah, 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 definitely. I'm looking forward to doing that. The next, the next two weeks should be interesting. Yeah. All right, Mike. So see you later. Let's sign off, and uh, we'll see you next week. And remember... Don't get drunk, get drunk, lumped up. Get lumped up. <laughs> See you later. Have a good one. Take care, people.